Welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Monday, December 14th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe as the holiday season approaches to any any of our listeners out there who are celebrating Hanukkah. Want to wish you all a very happy Hanukkah and for everyone else, wish you a very happy holiday season. Merry Christmas and just recording this right after a very, very exciting Monday Night Football game, maybe the best Monday Night Football game, and maybe the best NFL football game of the entire year. The Ravens defeat the Browns 47-42. to Maybe one of the most epic backdoor covers in the history of football. Line was Ravens minus three. Justin Tucker kicks a 50-yard field goal to go by three. It was a back-and-forth game all around. It was going to end a push. Well, in the Browns' efforts for a miraculous uh, lateral touchdown, doing everything that they can for a miracle win. They somehow get a safety, and the Ravens win by five to cover the spread, which is just going to be featured on every Scott Van Pelt bad beat segment forever. Shout out Scott Van Pelt. He's awesome. So coming up today on the podcast is a really, really awesome conversation I had earlier today with Max Sass. We broke down all the college football championship games this weekend from the ACC, SEC, all the way to the Sun Belt with Coastal Carolina. Well, it's so much fun. We touched on a lot of things, different coaching carousel things. Uh, talked a lot about Davo Sweeney and Dan Mullen, and uh, just a really fun conversation. Before we get going here, and uh, and we get to that, just want to shout out two people. One, Sarah Fuller made both of her extra points this past weekend for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's offense finally gave her a chance to score as well. Uh, just really, really awesome to see her scoring those points. And hopefully, we talked about this last week on the podcast. We get to see more of this uh, going forward. I'm a proponent of uh, soccer players, male or female, it doesn't matter to me, getting a chance to to play college football because as we've seen who really follow college football, these teams have kicker specialists for extra points, field goals from certain ranges, distance field goals, kickoffs, and goalies are great athletes and they do this thing that's most similar to a kickoff in a goal kick. And I think they could definitely do it in a COVID crazy year. Uh, she stepped in and rose to the challenge of going from the SEC championship soccer game on the weekend to that Tuesday or Wednesday being in football practice. So shout out to her. And hopefully that is not the last we hear from her on the football field. She will be on the European football field, the soccer field, this this fall. She is doing a graduate year uh, where she will be playing soccer again. So shout out to her. And just before we get going, we just want to shout out uh, Keontae Johnson. We talk about him a little bit on the podcast. An awesome guard slash forward for Florida. NBA prospect. He uh, collapsed during the game at Florida State this past weekend. Our thoughts and prayers are with him, his family, everyone in the Florida basketball community, and, and anyone who may know him. It was a really, really scary sight, so we don't know the root of what happened or uh, anything about it, but we're just rooting and praying for uh, for his health and for him uh, to get to get past this and, and to be healthy, uh, and that's the most important thing. So I'm going to hit the music, and when we come back, it's my conversation from earlier today with Max Sass. Joining me now on the line, good friend, weekly appearance, one day early, 
because we had so much to cover, so much college football, college basketball news to get to. My good friend Max asked, Coach, what's going on? Uh, not much. Feeling flexible. Feeling flexible. <laughs> just in scheduling. Just in scheduling. Still still need to work on, you know, touching my toes for a longer period of time. But feeling flexible with the schedule. Excited to talk sports. Exactly. So that has been the name of the game this year in college football has been flexibility and scheduling flexibility. And it has been a long, long, long winding road to get to this point where we have now reached conference championship week in FBS football. It felt like certain moments throughout the season and parts of even the preseason summer where we didn't know if we would get to this point. It's been a crazy winding journey to to get here. There's times where it felt like, why are we doing this? This doesn't feel right. And then other times where like, this seems to be going okay. But in the name of the game of 2020, people have persevered and uh, have adjusted and have figured out ways to to get through this. So we're in conference championship week. Your team uh, is in, as in 2020, rules don't really mean anything. You just change the rules. Uh, but we'll get to that it's later. It's like uh, college football 2020. It's like uh, whose line is it anyway? Exactly. So we'll get to the Big Ten and, and them a little later, but... The game of the week, again, game of the season part two in the AC championship is Clemson versus Notre Dame. Trevor Lawrence obviously uh, is back for this one. He had missed the first matchup in South Bend as he had tested positive for the coronavirus. And so he did not play. And DJ Uagalele uh, uh, played the toughest name in college football. And he was <laughs> and he was really good. And Notre Dame won in overtime in that first matchup and especially, you know, back because it, as you said, COVID college football, 2020 adjustments, scheduling flexibility, Notre Dame is in the ACC. This is the first time I think they have ever played in a conference championship. I may be wrong about that, but it's the first time in a really long time. And they get Clemson and Trevor Lawrence at a neutral field this time in North Carolina at the Carolina Panthers stadium. What jumped out to me as we jumped you know, start diving into this is Clemson is a 10 and a half point favorites on a neutral field to a team they lost to once already. How are they favored by so much? Well, I, I think that in a season where just everything's a little bit weird, um, even just being at the Carolina Panthers stadium is in a lot of ways, a home game for Clemson, um, much easier travel. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's, even though the statistics don't bear it out, the narrative says that it's really hard to beat a team uh, twice in one year or three mm -hmm. times in one year if you're talking about, you know, other sports. And I think that just the way Clemson responded was really impressive. I think that obviously they lost to Notre Dame at Notre Dame, but then they came back home and they just obliterated Pittsburgh. They beat up on Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. They're they're hot right now. I know they didn't play this weekend, but um, excuse me. I think that they showed um, that they were good enough. I think they proved to me that it was a fluke. I think, um, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. I assume with Dabo's comments, but I think he's an unbelievable motivator. I think his guys play hard, and I just I just think Clemson's a better team, to be honest. Interesting. Um, okay. You know, uh, Notre Dame's defense, which, by the way, gave up 40 points to Clemson in that last game. Uh -huh. uh, 
you know, a game they won. But Notre Dame's defensive coordinator looks like he's about to leave for Vanderbilt. He yeah. was offered the this morning, it looks like. It's just chaotic. Now, on the other side of things, what if one of Clemson's coordinators gets involved with Auburn or you yeah. know, one of the other? Who knows? But um, I, I just think with Trevor Lawrence back, I think even though DJ Uyunglele played really well, um, I think there's just a confidence amongst everyone else. I think they fixed some of their defensive issues that really showed in that Notre Dame game, excuse me, and in their um, win the week before where they really struggled against Boston College um for Clemson so I think um ten and a half points is the right number I think Clemson actually covers that having said that um my favorite thing about these are that we get to keep making predictions without having to be accountable to the prior ones so no one's going to talk about the fact that I was ultra confident that Clemson was going to beat Notre Dame the first time and I right David and I said that Notre Dame was going to win I just want to remind people about that but we're not talking enough. <laughs> and I have to give you a lot of credit for that. But I just don't think Notre Dame's going to beat them twice in a season. I think it's really hard to do. So here's why the line doesn't make any sense to me and why I understand Lawrence is back, right? Lawrence, he's back. He can do a lot of things. He's the best quarterback prospect in the country, probably the best quarterback in the country. He's played in so many big games. When you, One of the big takeaways from their first matchup is Clemson – only had 35 yards rushing. Yes, DJ, I'm not, you know, DJ threw for over 400 yards, and Lawrence could put up some some of those similar numbers, but the Notre Dame defense, even though they give 40 points, is really good. They could stop the run. They are physical. They This is not like the team that's going to lose a line of scrimmage, which we've seen, which or which we saw two years ago, when they matched up against Clemson in the college playoff when Ian Book was a sophomore. This team can compete at the line of scrimmage, and we saw that in the in the running game and how they stopped Clemson. And then on the flip side, they had over 200 yards of rushing for themselves. And uh, their running back, Kyron Williams, is really, really good. We talk a lot about Travis Etienne on this, on, on this podcast, and really he gets talked yep. about a lot. Kyron Williams is also really, really good. I'm excited to see him again against this Clemson defense with now two weeks to prepare. I think that you make a really good uh, point about the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, because this is a side note. And we'll get into this later when we talk about the, the coaching carousel a little bit, but now that teams have ended their seasons, you see guys are doing interviews. That was a whole thing with the Louisville coach guys yeah. are being even, even if the Notre Dame defense coordinator has, let's just say hypothetically, no interest at all in the Vanderbilt job and has never even been to Vanderbilt, but he's on the short list of Ross Dellinger's, hey, who would make sense, right? Now everyone's talking about it. It's it's a distraction or it could potentially be a distraction away from the game of the season because this game has so many playoff ramifications that uh, it's just really, really interesting to, to dive into because these teams are so evenly matched with all the statistics uh, I'm really excited to to see this again because watching and rethink, watching the highlights again and remembering the past game, Notre Dame had a bunch of turnovers in the red zone uh, where they could have scored even more, and this game may have never gone into overtime. It's true. And Notre Dame's really good. I don't think this is about um, 
at least in mind, it's not about criticizing Notre Dame, mm-hmm. though to a certain degree it is about Brian Kelly's in a, Brian Kelly's inability to win really big games mm-hmm. um, in the postseason at Notre Dame, which I think has to be talked about. Yeah, but um, I, I think that Ian Book is really really good. I just think when you look at everything that Ian Book's done, you still look across the other sideline and you talk about Trevor Lawrence and a generational quarterback prospect. So um, I get the two of them are not matched up in an Oklahoma drill, mano y mano. But yeah. uh, I, I just have more confidence in Clemson getting it done um, after, you know, having a chance to see what Notre Dame exploited the first time. I think that Notre Dame obviously had an unbelievable game plan. Uh, they they completely exploited that secondary, and in a lot of ways, if you look back the week before when um, Clemson was down to Boston College, right? Guys like yeah. Say Flowers and Phil Dracovic had really exploited the Clemson secondary. Now Clemson cleaned it up in that second half, and they couldn't the next week against Notre Dame. And I think um, that's a huge part of why Notre Dame won that game. They had a great game plan, and they they you know they really just ripped them apart at the seams. I think Clemson cleans that up. I have a lot of confidence in Brent Venables to fix this defense. I have a lot of confidence in Dabo Sweeney to get his guys ready to go. Uh, Dabo Sweeney is the only guy who can have the best team in the country, a team that's somehow ranked third in the country ahead of multiple teams with no losses and yet still makes them feel like they're being disrespected and should be you know, ranked higher. It, it's it's yeah. absolutely amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's remarkable and good for him. Yeah, I mean... Dabo went on the Rich Eisen show this past week and said some things, and uh, I think he needs a new media coach or advisor because you're right. He is a very good football coach. He's a very, very good recruiter. He's a very good motivator, and he'll go on these shows, and when he says these public statements, especially the last six or seven months, he'll be like, okay. He'll say something that's like, okay, that makes complete sense. So for anyone who doesn't know, he won the Rich Eisen show and basically said it it's interesting to him kind of that just with the way that the season played out this year, that some teams like Texas A&M and Florida have played 10 or 11 games and they're outside the top four, but a team like Ohio state who at the time had only played five games is in the top four and, 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 and kind of how do you value who's played enough games? Right. And he did a, you know, he was smart. He gave complete respect to Notre Dame. He says, Hey, I think Notre Dame's a top four team in the country, no matter what happens. But then he then goes on to say, like, clearly just doesn't understand that two people who are very, very smart medical experts can be presented with the same information and make different decisions by it. Because then he was like, well, the Big Ten had a chance to play and they just decided not to play. No, this is a once in a century pandemic. The ACC medical advisors looked at the information and said, we feel comfortable taking the risk that they knew of or that we knew of in August and said, we are comfortable going ahead with the season with these all these precautions, which he hasn't really liked because he was super mad about how the Florida State game got canceled. And the Big Ten medical advisors saw the same information, and they said, look, we're just not comfortable at this moment playing football. We're going to continue to reevaluate and monitor the the situation. But at this time in August, they said, we're not that we're, we're not going to take the risk in a once in a century pandemic the big 10 then reversed course as things changed and they came back and and played and i don't think they should be punished because 
Dabo Sweeney and, and, and other people said, hey, we were able to play 11 games just because their risk tolerance was higher? I think that I, I, I generally agree with you. There, I think he he's wrong, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there's a couple reasons that he said it. And, and I think the other thing we need to recognize is, okay, why um, would Dabo feel comfortable saying these things? And I think the first reason is that maybe, um, with the exception of Supreme Court justices who are appointed for life, mm. nobody has more job security in this entire country than Dabo Swinney. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, when you talk about it, the guy has turned Clemson into an Alabama level powerhouse. And he's now at the point where even if he goes, zero and 10, he can go to his AD and say, well, maybe I'll just leave for Alabama and they'll give him a huge extension. Yeah. So there, there's no downside, right? What's the worst thing that happens? He gets a slap on the wrist, but here's why I think he's doing it. And I think it's twofold because I think he's a really brilliant motivator and I think he doesn't care about public perception. He only cares about his team and if it helps. So um, I think the very surface level reason is that it's true. He doesn't want to play Ohio State. I think yeah. he recognized that um, you know if they beat Notre Dame, they probably move up to the two spot. Ohio mm-hmm. State probably slides into the three. And last year, they um, barely escaped Ohio State in a game they probably should have lost. It took an uh, incredible 60-ish yard run by Trevor Lawrence for a touchdown to change the complete tone of that yeah. game. And a ridiculous targeting call by the officials, and and a ridiculous fumble ruled back by the <laughs> officials. Not that I'm bitter. Not yeah. that I'm bitter. No bitterness at all detected. So I think there's definitely that part. But I also think here's the other side of it, David. I think that Dabo's also looking at it from the side of, okay, what happens worst case scenario if we lose to Notre Dame, yeah. right? What's going to happen? Now he's trying to set his team up for success next year. Mm-hmm. Because what's the bulletin board material? So if they lose this game to Notre Dame, he can go back into that locker room and, look and say, look, I said this before. This is this is malarkey. We deserve to be in the playoffs. And the fact that they're not giving us a shot shows that no one values Clemson and values what we do. And we just have to prove something next year. I think this is him trying to play chess three moves ahead. Interesting. Because he wants, he wants guys to, to be motivated for next year in that worst case scenario. I don't know. It I I get what you're saying, but I also feel like he's one loss away from Notre Dame and missing out on the playoff, which would be likely as a two-loss team, to then complaining that Notre Dame never should have been in the ACC, and that and that and that his and that he should be undefeated, and that he should have played, uh, who's like Duke, an ACC team that team that I don't think that they played this this year. And that they would have destroyed North Carolina or Miami again in the AC Championship, and they would have been well on their way to a playoff appearance where who knows what could happen. I I don't think <laughs> I think even for him that's a little too far. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I I do think he will say something, and I don't know if it will necessarily be excuse driven. But what I will guarantee you is that if he comes out and say something, it does not. He's not saying it for your ears or my ears or the national media's ears. Uh-huh. He is. Saying it, and and let me just disclaim that I think you've done such an unbelievable job with this podcast that I think this should be in the pantheon of national media when we refer to it like that. I appreciate but it. My point being, he's saying it for the 115 players' ears yeah. and and coaches' ears within that Clemson group. That is all he cares about. And 
And I totally recognize that Davo Sweeney, A, does not know who I am or this podcast or any of these other podcasts or writers are, and that he could care. He's missing out. He's missing out. And that he literally could not care less about anything that we say. But from the public perception of the program is when he says something like, well, we had to do 120 hours to get a business degree and the other guys in the Big Ten only had to do 60 hours. Yes, it's a it's fair, but it's also just like he doesn't he clearly doesn't understand how any of that works because the guys doing business degrees at Clemson have to take a certain number of credits. You know, for me at Wesleyan, it was eight or nine economics credits. My friend who went to Bates in the same in the same league, in the same academic standard, it was a different number of credits, but we got the same degree. Like blame the college football playoff committee and the pandemic, which we have no control over, for saying, look, Ohio State, you're your coach, you coach basketball. It must be ingrained in the coach's handbook when you guys get hired or decide to embark on a coaching path to say, we are just going to control what we can control. So Ohio State has played five games this year. They controlled what they can control because they played all five games. They won in convincing fashion. They beat the good team that they had to play in, in, in Indiana and beat them all. It's They controlled what they could control. Clemson, for the most part, has controlled what they could control, not to always perfect degrees, but they should, in my opinion, they should not be affected because Ohio State only played five games. This isn't a yearly thing where Ohio right. State's like, like you know what, we're, we're, we're just going to play six games and we'll just be in the playoff because we're awesome. I, I guarantee you Ohio State wanted to play Maryland yeah. and wanted to play Illinois and wanted to play... You know, Michigan. They call that team up north yeah. this week because they would have been heavy favorites in every single one of those games, and it possibly could have vaulted them into, you know, the the three, two, or even one seed if they had impressive enough performances. But I don't think Dabo wants to play Ohio State. I think he recognizes that if they beat Notre Dame, they will likely be the two seed. Ohio yeah. State will likely be the three seed, assuming Ohio State beats Northwestern, and then Dabo Swinney can go into his locker room and say, hey, these experts are talking about Ohio State. They changed the rules for Ohio State. Yeah. Like, we are the underdogs. That's yeah. what it's all about, in my opinion. He needs to establish this because it's all psychological warfare and motivational tactics within his own team to motivate them before the game. And then if they lose, you know what he's going to say? We never should have had to play Notre Dame. <laughs> We never should have had to play. Yeah. Or, you know, Ohio State's fresher. They only had yeah. to play six games. We had to play this many games. You know, it's it. He he's setting himself. And I don't think that's because he cares about you and I coming on the double double and saying, you know, Dabo's right. Yeah. But he needs the guys in his locker room to believe. And I think he's willing to go to the ends of the earth for that. And I think that's part of the reason why guys love playing for him. Recruits want to play for him and they're winning. To be frank, and and I know that sounds ridiculous, but I do think that's part of it. It's the buying. What I think is interesting, though, and just like last time, all the talk leading up to this game between Notre Dame and Clemson, we're talking all about Clemson. Last time, it was about their new quarterback. It was about Lawrence testing positive for COVID, whether or not he would or would not be able to play. How's Clemson going to react? We didn't talk at all about Notre Dame. All we talked about last time was kind of what you mentioned before, which is like, Brian Kelly needs to win big games, and I don't know, you know, maybe 
because they haven't really done before. Well, they already did it once this year. I'm sticking with them. The Fighting Irish, this team is really, really good. They controlled the line of scrimmage against Clemson last time, and their defense is legit. It, you know, it, come, it came across the scroll as we were recording that it seems like their defensive coordinator is taking the Vanderbilt job, which I want to talk to you about later on. But as I think they're going to win again. I think Notre Dame is going to beat Clemson, and Clemson's not going to make the college football playoff. I have got uh, Clemson by Trevor Lawrence's jersey number, 16. I think Clemson wins okay. 36 to 20. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we will see who is right. Flipping over now to the other game of the weekend. This is the game that you cared the most about. Even though I'm, you know, all eyes on Notre Dame. Clemson, you are all in on Ohio State Northwestern. Ohio State is favored by a shocking 20 and a half points. This game we played at the Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. We talked a lot last week about, hey, would Ohio State be able to play in the Big Ten Championship because Michigan had to cancel their game due to COVID cases and contact tracing in their program. Well, the Big Ten did what all of us did or have been doing this year, and they said, it's 2020, nothing makes sense. We're just going to change the rules that we made up anyway for this season. And Ohio State, you're clearly the best team in the conference, your best team on your side of the conference. And... You're going to play in the Big Ten Championship because also they're not stupid. They recognize that Ohio State is their best chance to make the college football playoff and win a national championship and all the positive things of that is that what it brings from or brings for the conference as a whole. And Ryan Day's been getting what he's wanted since the beginning of the summer. What he's been calling for is a chance to compete for a national championship and to make the playoffs. And Ryan Day, even though he was going against the wishes of the conference for, for part of it, he's he's gotten what what he's wanted, which is a chance with this really, really good football team to do something special. I think that that's sort of been the purpose this whole time, right? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it, it, it's complicated, right? A former guest of yours on this show, Nicole Auerbach, received a lot of heat for essentially calling it like what it, it is. was, saying that this is very much just a rallying cry to give Ohio State a chance to win a national championship. And I think that, you know, potentially Scott Frost and Nebraska were not looking at it that bluntly. They were sort of saying, like, well, we want to play too. But, but Nicole Auerbach's <laughs> not, totally, not totally wrong. Right? No. So I think that <clears throat> I disagree with the way she phrased it maybe, but she's right. And – Ultimately, we got there, like you said, and um, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to Northwestern. Northwestern's a good team. Yeah. I was a little disappointed that they lost to Michigan State two weeks ago or, what, or whatever that was, mm-hmm. but uh, two years ago in 2018, they, these two teams met in the Big Big Ten Championship game, and it wasn't particularly close. It was, you know, it was, it was a, a, a 24-7 game at halftime, and then I think it ended up being uh, 45-24, if I remember correctly, or 45-21. 45-24, I just checked, um, at the end of the game. You know, Northwestern, unfortunately, um, has been the best team in the Big Ten West, but I- I'm not sure they're actually the best team or, or the most dangerous team. I still think that Iowa or, or even Wisconsin, who has not been great lately, are more talented, but all credit to Pat Fitzgerald. 
Uh, he's done a ridiculously good job with Northwestern. And, and I know I'm going a little bit off topic here, but um, I, I want to flip the question back to you, David, and mm-hmm. say, is it a good thing for Ohio uh, for the Big Ten that there's a 20.5 point favorite? No, because you know, the championship game. Like, what does that mean for the conference? No. And it's I personally don't think it's good um, because it as we've talked about before is that it's it makes other fan bases and just fans general fans of college football like I am not care about the other teams. Indiana's having a magical season this this year, right? Mm-hmm. 6 and 1, awesome, awesome, awesome. Came within a couple plays away from beating Ohio State. Yep. And they're not going to be in the college football playoff or even in the Big 10 championship. And it's this feeling of inevitability that the conferences is that it's all we go through the season and we talk ourselves into Miami. We talk ourselves into North Carolina. We talk ourselves into Indiana, Northwestern, Wisconsin. And then they play Ohio State and they play Clemson or Notre Dame. They play the powers and they get crushed. And it's I don't know what it means for the entirety of college football because College football, people still go to the games. You know, they, they go and watch five and five Ole Miss play three and two or three and five Vanderbilt. Like people still go and people still watch and care. But I think that there's an there's an element of inevitability that and lack of parity that's not good for the sport. And I think it brings up a really interesting question of we people love to trash the Pac twelve, but is the Big Ten, like, how much worse is the Pac-12 compared to these other conferences? Because flipping it on on you now, this is something I wanted to bring up, which I think is just mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Ohio State 5-0 and playing in the conference championship. Mm-hmm. They've beaten Nebraska, who stinks, and the best punchline of the whole season is whenever Nebraska loses, the other team tweets out, like, hey, Nebraska, thanks for bringing back the Big Ten. Which is just so funny. Which is messed up because they put themselves out on a limb to help everyone else. I, I, that, I don't know. Come on, that's a little wrong. It's 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 rude, but funny, and and I, at least I find it really funny. You know, it, it is. It's funny, but it's cruel. Yes, it's cruel. But okay, Ohio State beat Nebraska, who's two and five. They beat Penn State, who stinks, and they're three and five. They beat Rutgers, who's getting better but that's getting better from Rutgers standards they're not very good they're still they're three and five they beat a good Indiana team who's six and one and they beat and crushed a really bad Michigan State team USC is five and oh will also be six and oh if they win the if they win the Pac-12 they beat Arizona State who's one and two because they just had really bad COVID luck they beat a really bad Arizona team that just fired Kevin Sumlin who's just as bad as you know one of the bad big Big Ten teams, they beat a, I think, a solid Utah team who's two and two. They beat a who knows how good Washington State is because they're one and two and had really bad COVID luck again. And they beat a really good UCLA team last week who's three and three, not really good, but a solid UCLA team. And they're playing a good Washington team this week. That's that's three and one. If USC six and zero in the pack in, in a power conference and Ohio State's six and zero in a power conference, like. I don't know. Like, why aren't we talking about USC as for them to be in in the playoff? Because they'll have a very similar resume to Ohio State. I, I agree. Well, the reason we're 
talking is because Ohio State's clearly a better team. I, I, yeah. I know that the wins and losses aren't separating it, but just watch the games. I mean, yeah. It, it, <clears throat> having said that, I think USC should be in the playoff mix. Yeah. Like, they were 15 I, I, going I into this week. I don't disagree with you this well. I think the, the college football playoff committee clearly made a statement and showed that they, when they first came out with their rankings, they had USC or Oregon, whoever it was. They'd only played one game, and they had them like 18th or something like that. Yeah. I think they should be moving USC higher. Um, I think if, if USC has a good win i think it stinks that they didn't get to play oregon because that would have been a fun matchup yeah i think it stinks that oregon lost to um oregon state but i think that usc is the usc sort of did what uh, excuse me the pac-12 sort of just went under the radar because they did what the big 10 did but just with a little bit less media yeah and I think both conferences really hurt themselves. Obviously, the Pac-12 will end up being hurt a little bit more because the reputation is worse, and it's a little bit less in the public eye to a certain degree. Um, I think the other thing about it is style points. Um, and, you know, watching the Ohio State game against Michigan State last weekend, they, they kept talking about, you know, Ohio State needs style points. Ohio State needs style points, and they dispatched of bad teams now yeah um arizona might be the worst team in the country yeah like they just lost by 63 points Mm -hmm. to arizona state and you know usc needed if i'm not mistaken like a last second touchdown to 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 beat arizona they did but but also i'm picking nits no no but yeah yeah. i i agree you know that, that's totally fair to say about Arizona, but also we both are in sports. You coach, I play. It's when, a, and we watch tons and tons of sports. You see it all the time in every professional sport or college sports. Once a team gives up for the season or gives up on a coach, True. it doesn't matter who you play. It's, that's it's over. So, so, so then let's get down to brass tacks. Yeah. Ohio State has played a better schedule than USC. I, I think that they probably have played a better schedule because Indiana is better than any team that USC has played. But I think that it's interesting that we hype also, up. Penn State stinks, but they've now won three in a row. They were a yeah. top 10 team when Ohio State played them. Yeah. Penn State would beat, in my opinion, almost everyone on USC's schedule. They probably would. I just think that it's interesting that it's for a conference that did basically the same thing that the Big Ten did, has had a very similar level of COVID disruptions, uh, except that, you know, Arizona State wasn't ranked as highly as Wisconsin was, that that a team who, for them being good, is just as good for college football as Ohio State being good, as Texas being good, as all these other traditional powers. Like, it is good for college football – if USC is good and they are in the mix, it's flat out good for college football. And I just think that it, I, I just think that it's interesting that at five and zero, playing for a conference championship at six and zero, that they aren't scratching the door of the top ten over a two loss Iowa State team, a two loss Oklahoma team. Even if they're better, I I am partial to, and we've talked about this before, to the undefeated teams 
ra- over the lost teams be- just because it's what we talked before. C- control what you can control, and if you play the team best in front of you, then we can do the eye test and break down like, hey, is USC, they're obviously not as good as Ohio State, but going into this past weekend, they were uh, 11 spots down in the college football playoff behind a bunch of two loss teams, which I think is unfair to them because they're going to be a force to be reckoned with with Clay Helton and Kidon Slovis, who's a sophomore, who's playing really, really well. Like they have a quarterback, you know, they have a chance to be really good next season. So let's just since the start of the college football playoff, mm-hmm. no undefeated Power Five conference champion has ever been left out. Yeah. So I'm asking you. Will USC be left out? Unless the unless they jump up to like seven tomorrow night in the or Tuesday night in the rankings, I think that they're likely to be left out. That is also we haven't had the pure chaos yet of what happens if all if Northwestern wins, Notre right, Dame right. wins, and Florida wins, but they'll be left out. And I think that it's interesting that we put so much stock in these power five schools and, Oh, Cincinnati's not a power five school or coastal Carolina, not power five. There's no way they can get in the playoffs. Well, is it even power five anymore? Or is it just power four? And really just, should we just call it the power seven schools? (laughs) Because, because even then like Texas, like Texas A&M is a very solid football team this year. I'm not a huge fan of them. I'm not a huge fan of of Kellen Mond, but they went ten and one or nine and one. Like they controlled what they could control. They lost to Alabama. Guess what? Everyone loses to to Alabama, especially this year because Alabama is awesome. But they didn't just lose to Alabama. They got obliterated by Alabama. That's a very good point. And they're still five. Like they're the next team in. If one of these teams slip up, like one versus four, we're gonna see them get destroyed by Alabama again. Like. I'd rather not see that. I'd rather see Cincinnati get a shot or USC or, you know, talk about this later. Coastal. Justice for Coastal. Um, <laughs> but, Can I just make a quick point because you mentioned yeah. like seven national powerhouses. Yeah. And I think that there is an eighth team in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, that probably thinks they should be mm-hmm. included in that group. But I just want to point out that, that they're my not. home state, <laughs> Rutgers University, is currently in the Big East standings ahead of the fighting Jim Harbaugh's this year. So um, <laughs> if that doesn't tell you how weird of a year 2020 is, I don't know what does. Also, just for everyone who likes making fun of Michigan, remember after the first week of the Big Ten, how they how Joe Milton and them crushed a, I believe they played Minnesota, uh, what we thought would be a really good P.J. Fleck-led yeah. Minnesota team. We were like, oh, Michigan, they, do they have a chance? Like, And and I get it. It goes back to like the number of games played. College football is weird. you got to play the whole season, but – Control what you can control is going to be a theme of this this podcast. And I think going back to the original point with the Big Ten, as much as I want Northwestern to win, and I think that the 20 points is too much. Okay. I just I don't see them scoring enough. They can run the ball. I just don't know if they can throw the ball enough to, to keep up with Justin Fields and this Ohio State offense. I think I think they'll win by 13 points, but but I don't think it's going to be a 35 point blowout the way it is because when you talk about the motivational aspects, Coach Pat Fitzgerald has done an incredible job of saying, "Hey, 
you know, why are we even playing this this game? We're going to be 40 point, you know, why is it only 20? Make, make it 40. It doesn't matter. Like, like we have no <laughs> chance. Like, he's doing a great job of doing the nobody believes in us thing yeah. and rallying the troops. And I don't know. Northwestern stunned us before this this year. They've they've won a bunch of games. They they shouldn't be here. It's COVID. It's 2020. Justin Fields could test positive tomorrow, and this whole thing completely changes, right? And that is true. That is true. Though I don't think Justin Fields hang out hangs out with anybody except his dog. And <laughs> but but ha- ha- having yeah. said that, I think Ryan Day is also a master motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, He's been incredible with what he's done with this team in this turbulent time. And I think this team is dying to play. They didn't get to have their senior day on Saturday. They didn't yeah. get to play their their rivals. And I think they're looking to take it out on somebody. Um, this is a biased perspective, but I think Ohio State covers. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, I'm just against fundamentally – Saying that a team's going to lose by twenty points, twenty plus points in a conference championship, I, I just think that that's too disrespectful. Well, can I ask, well yeah. let me ask you this, David: What if it was just you know week two? You know, or, yeah. or what, even if it wasn't week two, what if you know there was no Big Ten championship game and Ohio State last week, Michigan canceled on them, um, so they flexed around the games and they played yeah. Northwest. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, for sure. I think that North- your your feeling. Maybe a little bit, but but I also, I also think Northwestern is good. I watched the Wisconsin game. They, I think they have a, I think they just play really really tough defense, and I don't they're, know if, if not arguing that they're bad. Yeah. No, no, I, I think they're good, and Ohio State is elite. Interesting. Okay, that's fair. I think twenty and a half is just too much, so okay. I think it'll be a thirteen to seventeen point victory. Probably closer to to thirteen because I think that just in these in these big games weird things happen. Uh, special teams somehow always become like a really really big factor, and just that, that's a great point. Wonky things could happen. That's a good point. And also in in the COVID year, like it could be a sixty point game if Northwestern's quarterback tests positive, or a three point game if everyone on the Ohio State wide receiver core tests positive. Like like who who knows what it's going to be, but. <laughs> We both have Ohio State. You have Clemson. I have Notre Dame. USC Washington. We talked a little bit about this one. Uh, I'm, I did a bad job preparing for this because I did not prepare enough for Washington. I know that they're three and one, but I haven't watched a ton of them. I've watched a little bit of USC. Watched the UCLA game and have been paying attention because because they're probably my favorite West Coast team to watch. I really like uh, Slovis, their quarterback. I, I gave my pitch for why they should be at least in the top 10 of the college football ranking. Uh, this game's on Friday night. Just want to point that out to, to people. This game is on Friday night, um, not Saturday. I think USC is going to win. I think, as we've talked about throughout this whole season, they win these back-and-forth games. Uh, I think it'll be a close one. But I think USC is going to win this, that they're going to win this game by, like, four. Okay, I, I, just for the sake of argument, um, that the college football playoff needs uh, Washington to win. <laughs> so, um, I, so I'm going to go with Washington. <laughs> okay, okay. Down to the SEC, Alabama versus Florida. Alabama favored by 16.5 points. 
Uh, my mini tangents on this, and then and then I'll let you go. Is that Florida last week? Um, Florida last week really uh, really up, upset me. They play in LSU. Played LSU at home, and uh, LSU. There's for the rules for the for the SEC, right? Is that you have to have a minimum number of scholarship players due to due to COVID and injuries, right? LSU was one above that minimum in terms of minimum number of scholarship players required to play the game. Their four best players on offense had all opted out, or at least their three best. Jamar Chase never played this year. Terrence Marshall opted out, and their stud tight end uh, Gilbert opted out and will likely transfer. And they started a true freshman on the road for his first start, I believe. And Florida blew the game and all playoff chances. And I'm done with them. I'm done with Florida. I understand that Trask has played really, really well this year. They are a good story, a historically very good program. But in the control what you can control theme of this podcast, don't pick up a shoe and throw it and get yourself a penalty and blow the game. Like, don't like don't look ahead to Alabama in the SC championship. You know what Alabama did when they played LSU on the road? They humiliated them. They utterly destroyed them to the point where we were all watching at home like, God, I have to stop watching this because this is just this is just too ugly. Florida should have done the exact same thing. If Florida says, hey, we're in the same class as Alabama, they should have dominated on on Saturday. And they blew it. I'm done with Florida. I don't want to hear anything about them or any chance to win. I think Alabama is inevitable. I think Alabama is going to win this game by 35 points. Um, I think Dan Mullen just kind of keeps putting his foot in his foot. If you want to keep arguing um, all these different things, because I'm pretty sure Dabble done his train about the whole, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, Ohio State or whatever thing. And, um, you know what, like, don't have kids so undisciplined that they're throwing a shoe. And his quote was hysterical. And 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 he, he was like, oh, the shoe came off in his hand as part of a football move. And he just, like, threw it in his celebration, you know, as he jumped up. Uh, like, he wasn't taunting him. And it was like, well, he threw a shoe further than Kyle Trask has thrown, you know, a couple different passes this year. And, yeah. And I, I don't mean to send a ricochet shot at Kyle Trask. That's <laughs> an unbelievable year. But, but I, I just think. Florida, not to say they like they they shot themselves in the foot, and I don't mean to keep making like foot shoe puns, but <laughs> um, the the LSU quarterback was actually Max Johnson, who's the son of Brad Johnson, the yeah. former NFL quarterback, and it just felt like um, he, he he knew how to manage a game, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he did, and, and- which. Which is funny because that's sort of like Brad Johnson's specialty. Yeah. And as we're talking about Dan Mullen putting his foot in his mouth, I'm pretty sure Dan Mullen came out with a statement last night or two days ago that was about like he loves how Mac Jones has managed Alabama's offense or something. Oh, like, um, look, D- Dan Mullen. On. I'm I'm so out on Dan Mullen this this whole season. So Florida loses to Texas A&M in early October. Texas A&M made the decision for themselves and their school that said, hey, we're going to have this many number of fans. And Texas A&M, to their credit, was smart, and they said, look, if we're going to have fans and we're going to socially distance them and stuff and make it limited attendance, we're going to put them in a part of the stadium where they can have the biggest 
uh, impact on the game to create a type of home field advantage. So that obviously really bothered Dan Mullen because I think they were close by or whatever. He responded that week by saying, like, I want the swamp full, 90,000 people. I don't care, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's time. T- two days later, he gets COVID. The whole team gets COVID. They don't play again till Halloween. Like, number one, just bad karma there. Uh, and then he says in response to, like, what Dabo was saying for Rich Eisen and, like, the playoff committee, he was like, oh, well, maybe, like, you get rewarded by not playing games this year instead of playing games, and we should have been protected like the ACC was protecting Clemson and Notre Dame by not playing last week. Uh, LSU's not very good. I, I, I don't want to remind you of that and keep harping on it, but, like, LSU's been embarrassed multiple times throughout – throughout this entire season and is dealing with a roster problem of they literally might not like literally might not have enough guys to finish the season. And you're saying that you never should have had to play that game. I understand that. Yes. Okay. It, you give like the best chance to beat Alabama was probably not playing this past week. Well, you know, coach, I, I don't know if he knows, but Alabama also played this past week and they didn't have any problem destroying whoever they played. Like, it was just like, all right, this is who we're playing. We're going to go out and we're going to beat them. I think it was Arkansas. Like, crushed yeah, them. Yeah. That was not much of a game. Crushed them. Just, like, absolutely humiliated them to the point where Bryce uh, Bryce Young, who's their backup quarterback, five-star from California, was in, like, when, once the third quarter started. They were like, yeah, look, Mac, <laughs> t- take care of it in the first half and we'll get you on the plane home, home early. Dan Mullen, look. You're doing stuff with the program. Florida, obviously, with Kyle Trask. They were a program that we had to talk about this this year. They beat Georgia. Uh, they beat Ole Miss. Like, they had a couple good wins this year. They had a lot of points this year. Kyle Trask, obviously, very good. Their tight end is incredible. Probably a, a top 10 pick. But I'm done with them. Like, I don't want to hear any, any more about how we should consider Florida for the playoff. I would like for the playoff committee to resolve them of any hope or doubt, put them outside the the top 15 where even if they beat Alabama by some act of God that uh, they have no chance for the playoff. That would be nice. And, and, and I just sort of want to go back because I, what I, what I sort of just realized in my own, I, I was almost crediting Dabo for, yeah. for motivating his guys. And I do think Dan Mullen's trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just think it's different when you have, you know, four or five college football playoff appearances and, and yeah. like two or three national championships on your resume in the past handful of years versus, um, you know, being the second best team in the SEC East year after year. So yeah. um, I, I understand what Dan Mullen's trying to do. I just don't think he's doing it quite as well as Dabba. He's like, we're going to talk about this later. He's like Nate Oates. He's talking too much before he's earned the right to talk. You know, I love Nato's where I don't think what he said was was smart, but I, I love watching Nato's. He's a brilliant basketball coach. He's he's a brilliant basketball coach. But uh, this we'll talk about a, li- a little not later. The but, thing, not the brightest, thing, but not not the best thing. To say a, exactly. So how much do you think Alabama's going to win by? I'm on the record. This is going to be a 35 plus point victory. Mac Jones is incredible. Wow. The whole offense is, is incredible. The defense is, is incredible. Florida. I don't know how you get off, off, off the mat after that game last week. And also knowing you have no chance to make the playoff. I wouldn't be surprised if some guys opt out because they were playing for a chance for the national championship. What do they care about winning the SEC? Wow, I, I actually think this game is going to be cl- 
going into halftime because I think it's going to be a bit of a shootout. Um, it's going to have a little bit of that old Miss vibe without Lane Kiffin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kyle Trask is an unbelievable quarterback. I think he's yeah. completing something like 70% of his passes and has like 40 touchdowns absurd. this year. Absurd um, numbers. An absurd year. I think that keeps them in the game. I think they have some good receivers. Kyle Pitts, Trayvon Grimes. Um, I, I think that this is very much a back-and-forth game, and then I think you're going to have a – uh, a, a weird situation, maybe beginning of the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter, where it turns on like a pick six or something, and okay. Alabama, you know, pushes the lead out, and all of a sudden they, I, I think they win by fifteen or twenty something in that range. Okay. But, uh, I guess the spread is sixteen and a half, so I just sort of waffled. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say I think they cover, but I don't think they cover as comfortably as you think. Okay. Okay. Going down south, more west. Oklahoma, <laughs> Iowa State. Oklahoma's favored by six and a half points. This is a battle of the two lost teams. Iowa State somehow ranks seventh in the college football playoff. They've been good, but still, like, I don't think they're one of the eight best teams in the country. Oklahoma, I don't know if, if anyone remembers back in September when they started one and two and uh, the DEFCON scale down in a, down in a boomer uh, sooner country was at DEFCON 2, maybe even DEFCON 1 scale, starting, you know, 1 and 2 with a brand-new quarterback in a pandemic. And uh, they've responded really, really well. Lincoln Riley has really impressed me. The whole the whole last year with everything about how he's handled the initial COVID shutdowns to how he handled the uh, George Floyd protest and how he handled that really, really well in – the summertime with his players and with his program, with his public statements, that really impressed me compared to some other coaches like the, the, like the one at Clemson. And how he's handled this whole fall is he he gets it. He, he gets that this year was going to be unlike any other. And he just said, look, we're just going to work. We're going to get better with our team. We're not going to blame anyone. Like he could have come out and said one and two. He could have easily come out and gone a whole long, long rant like, you know, no off season, no training camp. I don't have time with these guys. Like I can't mold them like blah, 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 blah. Like I'm trying to follow the rules and I don't know if these guys are following the rules. No, he just said, you know what? We're just going to win our next six games and beat Texas, the big rivalry game. He's going to beat Oklahoma state. He's going to beat all these other teams. And then all of a sudden they're playing for the big 12 championship where he could win the big 12 again. I've been thoroughly impressed by Lincoln Riley. I don't know why it's six and a half. Um, I think Oklahoma wins by 10. I think that uh, we're back in another situation, Notre Dame-Clemson-esque, where yeah. uh, you have two teams that have played each other already. Yeah. Um, October 3rd, Iowa State beat Oklahoma 37-30. to mm-hmm. uh, Now, that was not particularly recently, but I think these are actually the two best coaches in the Big 12. Probably. I think that... Lincoln Riley is an NFL head coach in the in the near future. I think that Matt Campbell um, is going to get one of the best jobs in the country, or maybe the Michigan job if Harbaugh leaves. Sorry, but um, <laughs> but I, I do think he's going to get an elite job. Uh, he's an unbelievable coach. He's built an unbelievable program and culture at Iowa State since he's been there. I think Oklahoma wins this game. I think it's close, though. I think that. I think that it's close. If you look at all the, the the games against really good teams that 
um, Iowa State's played this year. You know, they beat Texas by three. Um, they beat. They lost to Oklahoma State only by three. They they only beat Oklahoma by seven. I just think they play close games against good teams. I think they. Um, I don't think they quite have enough here. I think Oklahoma's talent is, is a little too much. But mm-hmm. I mean, Brock Purdy's a good quarterback. Uh, Brees Hall is amazing, man. He he's he's one of the best running backs that no one talks about. Um, he had a great quote that um, I think it was when they beat Texas. He said it was five star culture over five star talent, <laughs> and, and, and it's it's creative, but it's it's so indicative of the yeah. culture that Pat Campbell's built there, and. You know, ultimately, I do think five-star talent for Oklahoma will win out in this matchup over the five-star culture. Um, but I just love what Matt Campbell's done. Iowa State is a lot of fun to watch. Um, I really wish they hadn't lost that week one game against Louisiana. Yeah. Um, though Billy Napier, obviously, is, is a guy we're going to be talking about for a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I really like watching this Iowa State team. They're, they're, they're methodical, but they're also fun. So... Uh, it stinks that this game is the exact same time as the Ohio State game. Yeah. Um, but but I think it'll be a good one. I do think it'll be a good one. I, I think it'll be um, – I think it's going to be a one-score game either way. Shout but out – like Oklahoma by a field goal. Yeah. I, I wish that this game was not on Saturday at noon. I understand that these things are contractually written. They have to be at certain times, blah, 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 blah. There's like four games every weekend that people care about. Like, can't you know, just flex the schedule and figure, just figure it out? Like, ugh. all right, mini tangent over. To the non, to the non Power Five schools, Cincinnati's playing Tulsa. Cincinnati's favored by fifteen and a half. This is a they they were supposed to play last week, got postponed or canceled technically because of COVID cases. I believe at Tulsa's program. We talked about this last week. Probably wasn't the worst thing in the world for that game to be canceled as they were going to play each other in the conference championship game no matter what the next week. So they wouldn't have done anything in the game last week to really show their hand in any way. Like, it would have been a weird game. Um, Cincinnati is 8-0. If they win this game, they will be 9-0 by the Dabo standards and uh, Dan Mullen standards of by playing the number of games they played, they should be in more playoff consideration than their in-state rival in the Big Ten. But obviously that's not how this works. I would love if Cincinnati won this game, won it big, really put a finishing touch on their resume this year for the college football playoff and said, look, we're 9-0. We just beat a really good Tulsa team in our conference by 25 points. We've done everything that we should be doing this year. Everything we could control, we did. And they don't really have a reason to be kept out of the playoff except that the AAC is just not the SEC or the ACC. Like the American Conference, just it's just not the same. And, and I don't know if, if it's – I don't think if, if it's enough anymore to say we're not going to let you in because of your conference, I think we should let them in and just prove it because then it'll be, then we don't have to have the conversations about like, should Cincinnati or these other teams be let in if, if they get destroyed. I think that what this is all going to lead to is an 18 playoff that we've all been calling for. It makes, it makes way, way too much sense because I think ESPN already pays like a billion dollars for the television rights for the 14 playoff. If they get a, a few more games out of it, 
that you'll probably pay six billion dollars. Like, like who knows? Like, like no, but seriously, like they just paid three billion dollars for the SEC rights, and these are marquee, marquee matchups, biggest games of, of the season. It's a bidding war for live content now for all of these television companies: Fox, CBS, ABC, ESPN, NBC. It's a huge, huge bidding war, and. As we've seen this whole college football season, one of the main factors why they played was the money aspect of it and how important the financial part of playing college football and then the television deals is to the whole sport. I think that there's too many smart people who are involved in this who say, we could be getting so much more if we just add two or three more games. And then we can get all these people like me to shut up about how Coastal Carolina should be in the playoff because they'll get in and either they'll get destroyed well, by Alabama maybe- because or it's probably going to be one group of five teams. Yeah. But, yeah, th- that's probably right. But I think that hopefully this will lead to the 18 playoff because we've all been calling for it. And I think that is what makes the most sense because then you can have the two-loss Oklahoma team in a weird year like this or a one-loss Ohio State team who doesn't win the Big Ten, but they're still one of the 10 best teams in in the country, or you could have two or three SEC teams because they probably are. You said right. it best a, a few podcasts ago where you said Georgia is a top 10 team nationally or top 12 team nationally, but the fourth best team in the SEC. Like, that's right. insane. But now it's like everyone kind of has a chance, and that's why we love March Madness so much is the tournament, and everyone feels like that they have a real chance instead of just these four teams that's like the same four teams every year. I think you're preaching to the choir I want to make one interesting note about the American Athletic Conference, um, how Cincinnati is playing Tulsa last year, and rather, excuse me, they would have played Tulsa twice in a row no matter what if the game had been played. Mm-hmm. Last year, Cincinnati um, actually was playing Memphis twice in a row no matter what, and because they lost to Memphis in the final week of the regular season, Memphis ended up hosting the conference championship game yeah. and then beat Cincinnati. So I wonder if they were having uh, some flashback here, here. <laughs> Luke Fickle in that group, worrying the same thing could happen to Tulsa. So I don't know if it would have been a good thing or a bad thing, but um, just an interesting thing. Um, very, very interesting. And if Luke Fickle goes 9-0 and they get on the verge of a playoff game, I think I think Auburn might be calling. Ooh, I just don't think regionally it, it's a fit. Mm-hmm. Um I think Illinois probably already has offered him the job, and he's probably already said no. <laughs> um, Cincinnati has, I think, for like three out of the past four years under Fickle, had the best non-Power 5 recruiting comp- recruiting class in the country. He's done an amazing job. He's built that team up. I don't think he's leaving for a job that's not you know, one of maybe two or three jobs in the country. I really don't think there's that many jobs Luke Fickle would leave for. Interesting, interesting. Well, considering that Auburn is paying Coach Gus Malzahn $21 million to not coach for them, they, they, they who, who knows what they'll be actually pay for, pay a guy to coach for them. Uh, I think Cincinnati wins this game and I'll get the, all the coaching rumors going. Uh, I don't know en- enough about Tulsa to really say how much, but, but I'll, I'll say this is a comfortable win for Cincinnati. I think so as well. Um, obviously, last year it was a disappointing end of the season for them. But um, 
you know, Tulsa, Tulsa's a fun team. Philip Montgomery, their head coach, is um, <clears throat> he, he, he's been there a while. He does not have a winning record, but he was um, hired out of Baylor when mm-hmm. they had those really high-scoring offenses. So um, he, he's done a nice job of, of, of building something at Tulsa, and they're fun to watch offensively, um, largely because of his background and influence. Interesting. Well, to be seen, the final game of the week, I think in, in my rankings, this is game number two of the week, uh, selfishly, okay. Coastal Carolina versus uh, UL Lafayette. They played already once this year, Coastal won. Coastal is in the top 10 of the AP top 25 poll now. Coastal's favored by three and a half points in this game. If Coastal wins, I think they'll be 10-0, maybe 11-0. I can't remember exactly right. Can we get some respect for Coastal Carolina? They are going to do what UCF did and declare themselves national champions. They might. They might. They might. And it's going to be great. It's going to be hysterical. I may buy a Mullets t-shirt. But uh, I think that they're going to win this game. I love everything about this team. I love everything from the Mullets. I love that... Their offensive line is small but mighty. I love their quarterback. I love uh, their their defense, the style of play. I think that they're going to win this game. I think they're going to win by about a touchdown. Uh, and they're going to be, the with Cincinnati, the, the undefeated teams that are knocking on the door if something crazy happens to the Power 5 Conference Championship games. I think that would be fun. Unfortunately, I think reality um, outdoes fairy tales. And in this situation, I think uh, Louisiana Lafayette actually wins this game. I think Billy Napier is an unbelievable coach. I actually think he's on the short list to get the Auburn job. Okay. Uh, former Alabama and Clemson staffer. He's done a great job with Louisiana Lafayette. We mentioned um, they had beat Iowa State already this year. Uh, they're number 17 in the country, so they're no slouch themselves. Um, I believe they've never won the uh, the the Sun Belt. I believe they've only gotten their loss to App State. Um, but I think that they're really good. I think they're going to win this game. Um, I think it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited. I think the game actually got moved to 3.30 p.m., mm-hmm. which which uh, creates a little bit less overlap with some of the other games, which is a good thing for, for neutrals and fans. I wouldn't call you a neutral at this point. No, I'm uh, all in. <laughs> but I, I think I think it's going to be a fun game, but I think Louisiana Lafayette wins. That's not to say I don't think the Chanticleers are for real. I just think Louisiana Lafayette is very good. Okay, okay. To finish up our segment here on the college football championship games, we have breaking news. Washington will not play USC on Friday due to too due to oh, wow. too many really? COVID cases in, in their program. They don't meet the minimum scholarship requirements or the number of scholarships players at a certain position group. They will be replaced by Oregon. Okay. So now it's Oregon against USC. Does does that change anything about the way that you think about this game? I know we're jumping on this on the fly, reacting in live time. But I still think USC wins this game. That's my initial gut reaction. But uh, it makes it more interesting and exciting to to me to have Oregon play. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, it stinks for Washington. I feel bad for Jimmy Lake, the first-year head coach. I feel yep. bad for those players. But I think these are the two most talented teams in the Pac-12. So uh, it definitely adds a new layer of intrigue for me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a whole new level of intrigue. That game's on Friday night. And uh, who well, knows? Who, who, it's not terrific, but it's terrific that they found a sub. I'm glad yeah. they didn't just cancel, a game, cancel the game. And and who knows what's going to happen because I think this is a good reminder to us and to anyone else who likes college football that uh, just because a team is slotted into playing in the conference championship that until they kick the ball off on Saturday, that team may not be in there and that game may not happen on the day True. where True. it will happen. So shifting gears over to the hoop side of college sports, College basketball has been off to a, the best I can describe it, a turbulent start. They are playing games, but we're also having games postponed and canceled hours or within hours of when games are supposed to tip off. Major, major marquee games are also being postponed and canceled, like we didn't have Gonzaga-Baylor. Um, Virginia-Michigan State got postponed or canceled. A whole bunch of games that I was really excited for and you were excited for and college basketball fans were really excited for did not happen. But a few that we did that did happen were Illinois against Duke was was one of the big games. That was a big marquee game. Illinois was going to go to Cameron and play. And Illinois wins that game. They played really well, and they beat Duke pretty handily. I wouldn't say it was a blowout, but they but they won that game firmly and, and solidly. That was a clear victory for Illinois. And after the game, Coach K made uh, made some comments that has really taken the whole national storyline of college basketball. It's really overtaken the whole thing over anything that's going on on the court. And Coach K basically said after the game that uh, it feels weird to be playing college basketball at the certain moment of the pandemic. Things are things are getting worse with the pandemic. Things are not getting better. Um, he was mentioned that there's a light at, at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines that are coming. Actually, this morning, the first vaccines were administered here in the, in the United States from the, from from Pfizer. And but his whole call was for a seeming lack of leadership that they made a decision that they were going to start playing back in the summer for this certain date, but really just never really changed or waver that decision based on ongoing or or new in new information and and coach k got a lot of heat because for the final part that he was basically saying was that he was calling for a pause of some type of a college basketball season to reassess and what was interesting about it to me was that he was that he did it in a way that I thought was very interesting and in that he did it in a post-game press conference when he got asked a question and he put, he didn't, he, he, he said it had nothing to do with the fact that he lost this game to, to Illinois. He said, we got our butts beat, but he was saying, we, is this the right thing to do right now? And to be fair to coach K throughout the whole spring and summer and the fall, he was saying that, he was calling like, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? Should we push back? Should we delay the 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 tournament? Should we do this? Should should we be playing right now with the way that the pandemic situation is, which is really sad and unfortunate that we are at 
almost 9-11 or Pearl Harbor death tolls every day now. And that is, when you think about that, just how unfathomable that is, that that's where we are at in this country with the, with the pandemic and we're playing an amateur sport at the same time. But there are many fair cases to say that letting all these guys go home right now and travel when things are so bad and potentially get infected and spread in their communities could might not be the best idea either. So like with everything in 2020 and with the pandemic, there is a lot of gray area. There is no clear right or wrong. There is a lot of gray, but, but just what were your initial reactions to what coach K said? Um, it's tough. And, and I think that coach K is not wrong. I think if he says it outside of, I think just the way people think, we, we think in terms of the specific context of that moment, not necessarily the larger context. And so if Coach K had just said it on a Tuesday or whatever, you know, after a practice and a media availability, it would make sense. I think what he said still makes sense, but I think it's impossible for people not to frame it within the the context of well, are you just pissed you lost? Yeah. And I think it just took a little bit of the power away from the statement, if that makes sense. Because um, I think he's generally right. Actually, there there was uh, – Rob Douster does a great job um, with, with – he has a newsletter, The Rebound, and, and he wrote this morning about Keontae Johnson, who, who mm-hmm. had a really scary moment in the Florida-Florida State game, and he, he passed out on the court and – was stretchered to the hospital and, and put in intensive care and critical care. And, um, he's know, still there as we're taping. And, and it's so scary. I, I mean, he, he's a guy who likely would play in the NBA if he can come back and be healthy, but they don't know if it was associated with COVID-19 and with the potential side effects, including, uh, and, and I might pronounce it, but myocarditis, which is, mm-hmm. uh, the heart issue. And, they don't know. And Rob Douster had made a great point, which is, you know, we probably should be giving that more attention because that's how Reggie Lewis died. That's how Hank Gathers died from myocarditis, yeah. not COVID obviously. And, um, I just thought his article circled back to the coach K statement for me a little bit, which is, you know, maybe we shouldn't. And, and in a very short sighted manner, I'm very appreciative that they're playing college basketball because it gives me something to look forward to. Um, it stinks that we're not able to play at the division three level. It stinks that I'm not with my team every day practicing. I miss that. I miss those guys a lot. I miss the game. So having that is a really nice distraction for me, but you know, if, if God forbid Keontae Johnson doesn't make it, 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 you know, where this happens to someone else, at what point is the distraction not worth it? You know, uh, it's just a scary thing. It's really, really scary. Especially once, once you, as you said, you can you can find and watch the video of Keontae Johnson collapsing on the court and just how terrifying you can see or, or how terrified you can see his teammates were because it it he just he 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 collapsed forward onto his face and they his teammates freaked out and um, it was a really really scary thing to watch and and to read about where hoping and praying that that he's okay um but 
what Coach K said was a lot of right, and at, and at the same time, it's really hard to get fully behind him because the most what everyone is saying from Dr. Fauci to every other epidemiologist, the one basic thing that you can do to help in the pandemic right now and to and to make sure that that you're safe, that you're keeping yourself safe and you're keeping the people around you safe is to wear a mask. That has been scientifically proven. It's like everyone says that the one thing you can do, the one easiest thing that you can do is to wear a mask, right? Especially if, if, if you're going to be around other people, wear a mask. And you read these obituaries from families who, who have had loved ones pass away and they're like pleading and begging people to wear a mask. And you turn on a college basketball game and the vast majority of these college basketball coaches aren't wearing a mask for the game because they are feel like that they can't be heard in empty gyms to make sure that their out-of-bounds play is run right. Have you ever been to the dentist coach? Have you ever had an operation of some type or any type of doctor's appointment? I personally can hear the dentist totally fine when they have their whole mask and whole medical setup right about what they're going to be drilling into my mouth to make sure that I'm okay or a surgery I've had to have. Talk with the mask, heard completely fine. For much, much more important things in trauma situations, they can communicate just fine. You're telling me that you can't call an out-of-bounds play? We all know coaches do hand signals anyway. <laughs> that you have to, like, like I'm supposed to get behind Coach K really, like, he said a lot of right things, but you watch Duke play, you know, watch play Illinois or any game. And Coach K has his mask down for most of the game. The the worst is when he calls a ref over and pulls his mask down or when he has his team in a huddle. Wear the mask. A uh, question for you. You are a coach. You know a lot more coaches than I do. My perception of coaches is you guys, for a whole, are kind of crazy and that you really, really care about what happens with your team, win or loss. Is that generally true? You care if you guys win or lose? Yes, yes. Do you care or feel bad if you do something during a game that costs your team points? If you get a technical foul and you end up losing by one and the other team makes both free throws, do you generally feel bad that, hey, if I didn't lose my temper, we would have won that basketball game? Absolutely. If the NCAA or these conferences said, as Dana O'Neill for The Athletic wrote in a brilliant article, wrote, if you can give a coach a technical foul for being one half of an inch outside of the coach's box, right? But you mm-hmm. can't give them a technical foul for not wearing a mask and protecting the public health of people around them. We've seen it in the NFL. What you have to do is that you have to punish people. How many $100,000 checks is John Gruden, was he really going to have to write before he wore a mask? Turns out it was like one. That was a <laughs> lot of money. If they if they don't do it, technical foul. If you don't do it again, that's another technical foul. Well, I think I, I think you should give them a warning. I yeah. think it should be just like a coach's box warning mm-hmm. before but but I agree it's the only way to get people to do it. And and also you have Calipari, you have Coach K, you have Roy Williams. Those are probably the three biggest names in coaching, probably Tom Izzo too. If they lose a big game, let's say Duke plays Virginia and they lose because Coach K didn't have his mask on, got the warning, took the warning, still didn't have it on, gets a t- technical foul, gets it again. That's four points. Virginia wins by three because Tony Bennett could keep his mask on. 
the whole national storyline becomes about that game, not anything that happened on the court. It's Coach K couldn't keep his mask on, and they lost because he was too selfish to wear a mask. That's the whole storyline. And so until you do that, it's this – you can say all the right things you want, but if you're not going to take the personal responsibility to do what you can, it's really hard to get fully behind you. I I agree with that. I do think there's too many – administrative rules that mm-hmm. you know don't affect a game in my opinion mm-hmm. that's out you know and i hate when that stuff matters um you know the the undershirts and yeah. the, the tights and the that's the wrong color and that's got a stripe or mm-hmm. whatever so I, I hate that stuff but um i i do think that's the only way to, to get it to change the other thing i'll say of what coach k said is coach k also in his comments basically said that there is this lack of leadership in college sports, especially college basketball, and that he was kind of saying, I don't know who to talk to about this. Like, like, like who, like, like, like who is the leader that can make these decisions? Um, I don't want, I don't know if he realizes this, but he's the leader of college basketball. If coach K said that we're not going to do this, it could have a really big impact because he is the leader. People forget because it was all the way back in March the Ivy League canceled their season first and said they weren't playing in March Madness. Then it was Duke. And then the tournament shut down. Duke decided first. Now, I don't know if Coach K said that they weren't playing or if Duke as a university said, look, we're not like we're not going to take the risk. But Coach K is incredibly powerful in the world of college sports. He is the leader. And the idea that he doesn't know who to talk to is mind-boggling to me because he is the guy. I'm sure the ACC commissioner, John Swafford, has a special ringtone for Coach K to make sure that he answers that phone, that it's not just like the normal Apple, you know, marimba <laughs> tune, but it's like a specific Coach K, like, oh, my God, if I don't take this call, I may end up in a ditch somewhere because Coach K runs everything, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I think, you know, the, the NCAA Rules Committee, obviously, mm-hmm. when they made this season's rules or updates, things need to be voted on and things yeah. like that. I, I'm not 100% sure what their formula or format or guide is if a rule needs to be changed in season because this is not, um, uh, we're going to emphasize, you know, the cylinder rule on block charge calls and stuff like yeah. that, right? Like, this is not a point of emphasis. I mean, it is a point of emphasis, but it's it's just a different. Um, it's just something that needs to either be implemented or not implemented immediately. It's not something that we can really sit back and say, okay, well, we'll handle this after the season and test it like a thirty second shot clock. Yeah, I mean. I think that the coaches are getting the majority of the blame. We're talking about Coach K a lot of this and the other coaches like Rick Pitino or or really anyone else. But it's the athletic directors who really need to be ashamed of themselves because they're supposed to be the boss, right? You as a coach at the Pratt Institute, you have a boss. Your boss is the athletic director. The athletic director makes the rules. And you can talk and you can decide and you can give your opinion about things. You know, just like in any other office or any other coaching job, and you, you can come to agree or disagree. But this idea that the athletic directors are not enforcing the rules for the multi-million dollar coaches who they use to recruit normal students to the university and help raise money 
that for the one time that they're on TV every week isn't doing what they're asking and begging their freshmen and sophomores to do when they're on campus or really anyone else for the standard of the university. It's embarrassing for the schools and it's embarrassing for the athletic directors because it shows that you have no control over these over the coaches. I think it's 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 a combination of things. I think your point is very, very valid. I think it's a really challenging situation and people need to start by being um, accountable to themselves in a lot of ways. Control and, and control what you can control, right? That's the theme of this podcast. I feel like you've said that before. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> it's the theme of the podcast. And now flipping over to the responses from other people in the coaching industry, Nate Oates had a potentially was taking advice from Dabo Sweeney during his media conference when he responded to it as he he said now in a middle of pandemic that's in, uh, killed close to 300,000 Americans is now, you know, as we mentioned, close to the equivalent of a 9-11 or Pearl Harbor death toll every day. He went through this landmine of a press conference saying things like, if COVID is so bad, then decide not to continue down that thought and said, well, I try to wear a mask, but I already had COVID. So like technically, like I can't give it to anyone, then decide not to continue that. And then also didn't explicitly say that Coach K said that because he lost those two non-conference games, but posed a rhetorical question to the reporter who asked him about it. And then was like, you said it, not me. It was a winding road of, as I'm watching the video, just like, I said, oh no, out loud loud four times while watching his two-minute clip. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think Nate was smart. They they lost to Clemson. Lee um, came out and said he wanted to apologize to Coach K. Mm-hmm. Um, he he said he reached out to him. He realized as soon as um, <clears throat> excuse me, as soon as the first press conference ended, that um, that he he reached out to Coach K because he felt terrible about it. Um, you know, I think Nate Oates point was and he said it it just got buried his point was um quote we should be playing in my opinion we should 100 percent be playing basketball no one talks about the mental aspect mm-hmm. so i think that nate oates didn't phrase it properly no but ultimately his point which again is very valid on the flip side of things yeah. is that the mental health of these student athletes is is a huge question and a huge concern when you take away um, I was going to use the term livelihood, but then we have to get into, you know, name image. Yeah. Like so, but when you take away what's their lifeblood in so many ways. So I think 100%. Nate Oates did have his players' best interests at heart, just like Coach K did. Yeah. I think the way he said it was wrong, and I like that he came out and recognized that. I think that he showed ownership. I agree about that. We can talk about other Nate Oates questionable things he said which is like i think when he was at buffalo he said something about arizona saying like basically saying something about how they were better than arizona then then they played kentucky the next day and he said something negative about kentucky well then calipari and kentucky won that game by 20 um he's not afraid to i I, I, you might be right i don't remember that i just know i enjoy watching nato's team yeah (laughs) they play a fun style man they play a fun style he's obviously a good basketball coach but he is he's clearly trying to make a name for himself he's not going to back down to to anybody which I respect that. He's the, at Alabama. Coach K is Coach K. He's the icon of college basketball. And he's he's not afraid to to disagree with everything he said because as we talk about this, everything, there's so much gray in this. Coach K was concerned about the mental health of his players, saying they've been here for so long, 
following all these rules and regulations and giving up so much of the traditional college experience and not being able to do certain things to play college basketball. We already see four uh, major college football programs not playing bowl games because of those same things. Boston College, Virginia, Stanford, and Pittsburgh all all said that we're not playing a bowl game because it's just not worth it. These guys have been through too much. We need to get them home to their families. That was one of the things that, that Coach K said. But on the flip side, Nate Oates made a very valid point about the mental health of college basketball players or college athletes as a whole, which is if they're not able to play, forget the fact that these guys are basketball players and that they like to play basketball because that's just a given. Like We don't need to discuss that part. But just the (laughs) social aspect of playing college sports is so huge in that you go and you have 15 teammates, you hang out in the locker room, you get to hang out during practice, you get to talk, even if even if it's not the, exactly the same this year because of everything, you're around other people and there's just been so much isolation this year caused by the pandemic and social distancing that it's a negative effect for many students' mental health. You hear when you know students who go to college and it's not the same, there's no parties, there's no football games, there's no chance to have the, like, the college experience and be the social young person. That's a very fair point. Like, I don't need to hear from any of these coaches that, like, these guys need to be playing basketball because they're basketball players. Like, yeah, that's obvious. But it's the social component of everything that goes into playing college basketball that uh, is not being talked about enough and, and being undersold in the mental health discussion, which I think right. Nate Oates was right. And a lot of other college coaches have been right about as well. And ironically, they actually were both campaigning for their own players' mental health. Yeah. But... NATO shouldn't have taken the shot at Duke losing. No. Because it distracted from what both guys were saying, frankly. Yeah, which brings to Jim Beheim, who I love just because I think he's a great basketball coach. I love that he plays zone and he hasn't changed and he's won so many games playing zone and no one tries to copy him. I just like that he's just him. But he says after they crushed Boston College 101 to 63, he said, first of all, everyone knows Mike. Krzyzewski is a friend of mine, but Mike said in the, in the summer and September and October that we should delay the season for some young coach who should know better but didn't to suggest that Mike Krzyzewski didn't want to play because he lost a couple of games. Yeah, he's only won 1,100. Anybody who knows anything about college basketball knows that Mike uh, that Mike Krzyzewski said that in the very beginning, in the very beginning, looking into a delay of the season, a delay of the tournament. Now, that's how I feel about any type of chrism for for Coach K is that you're just jumping on the fact that, as you said, it was like, is he just upset because he lost to Illinois and uh, lost a couple non-conference games? He didn't lose to the Division II team that, like, Kansas State lost to. Like, he's not panicking, right? He lost to two top ten national teams. Like, But also what was interesting is Coach Beheim also didn't agree because Coach Beheim, you don't think of him as this eloquent, big, thought leader in college basketball, but, but, but what he said was that he doesn't agree that there should be a pause to the season because when Coach K mentioned the vaccine, Beheim's like, look, I may be able to get the vaccine soon, but the players won't be given the vaccine. They're last in line right. for the vaccine because people of my age and your age who are pretty healthy, active people, we're just last in line behind all the people who needed before us. He was like, the, the vaccine won't probably be given to them to the mid-spring or summer at the absolute earliest, if the rollout is out, is if the rollout of it is as effective as we hope and pray that it is, it's not real realistic to do what Coach K said and pause for six weeks, two months, reevaluate and come back because there's 
no guarantee right. that things the are going to be better. It's not as yeah. simple as, as we would hope. Yeah, because we could, they could shut down for two months. We don't know what it is. If they come back February 1st, things could be way better or things could be way worse. We have no idea. And so I thought that that was really interesting to say, look, like we kind of just made the decision to play. Either we just have to cancel the whole season, which feels weird and wrong. And because people have put so much into it because we already started, or we're just going to have to deal with the, all the cancellations and all the postponements, which brings us back to what you started with, with Keontae Johnson, which is if he can't play or something really, really bad has happened, I think that could reevaluate everything because just watching the video and just he's in critical condition at the hospital. He's he, he still is as, as of taping. That's just a really, really scary situation. Maybe we need to pause and reevaluate how we check everyone who has had COVID and do what the Big Ten did, which is everyone's out for 21 days so that they can fully recover and do all the heart screening and, and the heart testing. Maybe that's what we have to do and just say, hey, if do everything you can, but if someone gets sick or if someone uh, develops the, the virus, that it's just going to be an even longer wait time because these are just all the things that, that we have to go to. Maybe it just becomes more like uh, concussions where it's not just a seven-day isolation back at it, right? It's, right. Uh, it's a month. I think that I think that Rob Douster's point, which was very valid, was we just don't know some of the effects. The, yeah. the definitive information is not out there. So, you know, obviously we never want to figure it out because someone got seriously injured. But if we find out that Keontae Johnson's issue was related to myocarditis and related to COVID-19, then yeah, I, I think that changes things. I yeah. think that as new science and new results come out, um, the decision makers have to be ready to pivot quickly. Um, because, and this is even with the idea that, you know, hey, mental health from both sides is such an enormous aspect of the yeah. conversation. But legitimately, if we can't figure out a better policy that ensures things like what happened to Keontae Johnson don't happen. And, and that's obviously under the assumption that this was at all related to, to him having COVID-19 then, um, you know, then, then there needs to be drastic changes because one is too many. One player having this happen to them is too many yeah. to risk it on the next guy is not acceptable. If the ties are there scientifically. Yeah. And, and also the, everyone's saying that what, we know now about COVID, we still don't know everything about COVID-19 because when the chicken pox first came out, right, it was, okay, chicken pox is this. We, we kind of figured it out. Well, it took how many years for people to figure out that old people or people or elderly people who were once diagnosed with chicken pox get something called shingles. And that was a whole other thing, right? Like we just don't know yet if that if you get COVID-19, that in 20 years, there's a 10% chance that you get this other thing, right? We're still all learning and the medical people are learning every single day more and more about this virus that, as you said, the the experts or the officials in college hoops, in college sports or professional sports or really just life in general have to be ready to adapt really quickly if if things get worse where it's, hey, if, if, if you get COVID-19, you may be fine for six months. 
But then after, you could be way worse or you could be way better. Like we, like we don't know yet because we're still learning so much because it still is in the grand scheme of things with viruses and medicine and science relatively new. Even though it's been almost a year now as 2020 is ending, that uh, it's still pretty new. Exactly. I, I think you said it really, really well. Yeah. So uh, anything else that you want to hit on in, in college sports? I know I did a a nice long mask rant that's that was just uh stuff i had to get off my chest but it it it, it is ridiculous when you see these guys in the mass are just are just not on because dan o'neill said it in, in her piece so well is that if you fail if, if a player becomes ineligible because they failed a history test or f- like failed a class and you give texts for coaches outside the the coaching box or a kid because he's wearing the wrong pair of tights because they went in the wrong wash and they like dry to a wrong color right that uh that the basic thing of wearing a mask like uh that that is just okay that these guys aren't wearing it when they're on national television um uh, which is just which is just mind-boggling crazy anything else in college hoops that that you want to hit on no i did see uh, just going back to college football from before i saw that usc is a one point favorite against oregon oh boy pick them uh, early on so we'll see if that line moves but um no i think we covered a lot of things any before we wrap up any nba preseason overreactions i've made it a mission for myself not to watch a really sit down and watch preseason basketball this year because i think it's like preseason football where it's just or spring training baseball it doesn't matter that much but i've seen some highlights and i have a couple overreactions and i was wondering if, if you had any uh, I'm trying to stay away from it. I, I think that uh, I think that um, I'm curious to see if Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks is going to give the young guys as many minutes when it actually counts. Yeah, um, he's letting guys sort of go right now. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, as we're recording this on Monday afternoon, had you know a ridiculous game last night. Played great. So, you know, uh, if we really want to overreact, we can just say that he's, you know, the second or third best player on the Lakers. <laughs> you know, the new big three is LeBron, AD, and THT. Kuzma's uh, Kuzma's going to have some some a lot of response to that because he thinks he's the best player on on the Lakers. <laughs> well, no comment there. <laughs> um, I think that no, I, I, I think I think it's preseason. We can't put too much stock into it. I think. It was a really short off season, so the guys that had heavy loads are um, really going to manage minutes. And yet, there's teams that haven't played since March, right? Like yeah. the Elite Eight or whatever they called them, you know, haven't played since March. So I think teams are handling it differently. And I think if we read too much into it, uh, we're just going to get pulled in the wrong direction. So you're not buying that Lamelo Ball is the best passer in the history of the NBA. In the history of the NBA, uh, I'm not willing to go there yet. But again, like we talked about in the draft uh, preview stuff, I think LaMelo Ball is going to be a very good player. I think he's going to be excellent. I think he's going to really help the Hornets. Uh, uh, I think he's going to fit in nicely. Um, You know, so I I, I do think it's encouraging that he's starting to play well. Yeah. I don't think that's completely insignificant, but I just don't think we can completely – uh, <laughs> uh, project out from there what it's going to mean over a 15-year career, potentially. I want him to... I don't know if he can do this for a whole game, but, but maybe just a quarter, only behind the back passes. <laughs> because he's weirdly good at them, 
Uh, and I understand that that is a way that sometimes that's the only way to get the ball to a certain person. But he also threw a couple that were just, you know, really fun for the Twitter highlight reels. He's, he is a fun player. I think he makes them eminently more watchable. Yes. Even, even though my, my favorite clip was uh, from Worldwide Wob, he threw an – LaMelo got a rebound, threw an awesome, like, skip pass type of underhand thing up the court. Just an awesome pass. And then the guy on the wing throws an alley-oop to Hayward, I think it was, who misses and goes off the backboard. I was like, the Charlotte Hornets, everyone. They're going to do some really <laughs> cool things, but remember that they're still, like, it's early in the season. They're figuring things out. Um, yeah. And it are. seems like and it seems like James Harden's going to play tomorrow night. So, uh, yeah. Which I'm intrigued. Kevin Durant came back and looked really, really good. Yeah. So, so that's actually one of the one of the things that uh, I guess is a good overreaction. It's mm-hmm. nice to see him him recovering or seemingly having recovered smoothly. It that that was very uh, that was I think the the biggest takeaway is just he just you know I I wasn't too concerned about the points or the rebounds or, or anything like that. Just he it looked like he was moving well. And, and that's yes. the biggest thing. And, and I'm going to really try not to overreact to anything Kevin Durant related the first 20 games of the season because the first game or the second game, he could have 40 points because he's awesome. And everyone will be like, Katie's back, Katie's back. But as we know, the NBA season is a grind. It's a slog. And even guys who don't have any his injury histories get banged up and uh, bruised throughout the season. So I'll be interested to see how he does games 20 to 45 because that will be the better test of how back is he physically compared to the first 10 or 15 games when he hasn't played for well over a year now. Uh, but but they looked good. And, you know, Kyrie and KD are uh, arguing over how many post-ups Kyrie's going to get on over Instagram Live, which I thought was hysterical, but also concerning at the same time a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I, th- I don't think Steve Nash realized what he was signing up for when he decided to take this job. <laughs> Uh, but they're the most interesting team in, in the NBA, and I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out. I am too. They're, I'm glad they're they're near us, though, not like we can go to the games. But Hey, the Yes Network has one of the best broadcast crews in the entire NBA. That's what I'm thankful for with them. That's true. We, we are very fortunate Iron to Eagle. have some excellent broadcast teams. Mike Breen, obviously, with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even when Iron Eagle's out, Ryan Rucco kills it. He does? He... I, He's awesome. I've always liked the random NBA Wednesday or NBA Friday doubleheader game that they send Ryan Rucco for. I think he's really good. He he does an awesome job. He does great. So, so much to get to. Next week, we'll be able to preview the entire NBA season and recap all these college football games. And uh, I, I'm really excited for it. So, uh, thanks again for, for coming on and spending a little bit of your rainy Monday afternoon with uh, with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me as always and uh, look forward to talking again soon, both on the air and off the air. Likewise. Of the Double Double, if you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Let's follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.